this is your host, Miracle Jones and Kamala Shrao. We're here to talk about politics. and <laughs> uh, Yeah, you know, I've been thinking about a couple of taglines. Okay, okay, our <laughs> ongoing search for taglines. <laughs> how, how about this? Okay. Resilience and reason in the time of Trump. Oh, that's good. I yeah, like that. Right? Resilience. That's and so re- much better. It's better. Right? Oh, what a, yeah, that's perfect. Yeah, actually. yeah. Resilience and reason. Or reason and resilience at the time of Trump. Ah, that's perfect. Yeah. Well done, sir. Oh, that's okay. like, I think it's unanimous. It's really yeah, good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. Okay. All right. Good. Because yeah, yeah, yeah. we got away from like fussy stuff. Yeah. like like resistance and whatever recuperation yeah, or, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. it's got to be two r words yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know room of requirement yeah, so we've yeah. got we've got uh we've got all sorts of alliteration and uh that's about as literary as i guess <laughs> that's fantastic no for sure so i think in some ways like um resistance is is trying to fight against everything right yeah. and but i think in a lot of ways uh, I think part of being where we are, which is kind of the left or the center left, or just not in power right now. I think it's also be about being able to take kind of an onslaught of, I think, in general politics that go against our way um, and policies that I think are horrible. But it's all about, okay, well, how am I resilient to this? I mean, I, I can understand resisting, which means taking on marches and harassing congressmen, but it's also just being able to, like, take it on the chin because, I mean, in order to have a fight, you have to be able to, uh, you know, be able to take a punch or two. And okay. so that's, that's I think, is really important, right? Like, um, I don't know. I mean, does uh, is resilience really that different than resistance? Yeah, it's, I, I, I think it definitely is. I mean, I think it, I think it, it, like, either way, we are a country that elected Trump. You know? Yeah. It doesn't, he's terrible or hard to deal with and stomach but it's not him it's the he's the just like image of what we are he's the chalice yeah yeah. (laughs) (laughs) holding all the dark liquids of the body politic and it's also like i think about this quite a bit which is like all right like stipulated that democracy is real and it is like this mystical force that shows us who we are right like that's who we are it's like yeah there's a there's a whole stew of things that went into his election and i believe it was legitimate yeah uh whether there was you know influence from the outside or not it's a legitimate democratic thing that happened there were plenty of people who wanted to be president yeah absolutely interesting we should you know and and, i mean you know trump is uh, trump is a focus i think for the quote-unquote resistance um but i mean the truth is that the democratic party or the left party has been shellacked over the past what six years but it's also it's bigger it's it's more that's true but it's more like we have a really weak stupid executive you know it's caligula it's not like stalin (laughs) right and i think the uh I think, yeah, and I, I think some of the thinking behind the resistance is this is going to fall. Like, if we put up enough power, like, this is go- it's going to fall overnight. Yeah, and again, yeah. I think I just want to reiterate your point. Like, this is a long game, and part yeah. of the long game is being able to take a hit or two yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, be able to bounce back from that. So, And uh, along those lines, I think we should also be able to argue our point yeah, and argue yeah, yeah. our viewpoints. And For that's sure. where the basic concepts of reason (laughs) kick in Um, although I guess you're free to figure out whether or not we're actually capable of reason or whether or not you know uh, reason is in any way derivable by the human consciousness (laughs) do you have an opinion on that? (laughs) Uh, I I think we're fundamentally not rational creatures interesting so I guess from um, 
I mean, there are a lot of ways to think about it, yeah. right? And I guess I have enough math background to understand that there's logic and reasoning in that. Um, but one of the more interesting nexuses, or one of the more interesting applications is in economics, right? So, like, whether or not you think people are reasonable or can be rational um, really colors how you think people, uh, what policy should be towards economics. And uh, I don't know. I mean, I, I've always thought that we're not as, we're not rational people, right? Like, I mean, I think we're just animals, right? And so any kind of sense of, like, uh, argument is always layered upon our, our basic instincts or how we decide to see we make a decision quickly and then we layer an argument on top of that. I mean, I played board games against you. I know you think this way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right? right? But, but, I mean, you do believe there is a, a, a quality or category called reason and we can approach it and deploy it. Yeah, I think so. I mean, I think yeah. you can. I think you can have an, uh, a reasoned argument, right? But whether or not people are, I guess, there's a difference between reason and rational, right? Okay. Like, and okay. I think, I think, sorry. So maybe the better way to think about it is whether or not people are, are capable yeah. of being rational. I think I might agree with you there. People are not rational, rational. but they can use reason. Right. Absolutely. The they do yeah. all the time. Yeah. You can put together an argument yeah. that is uh, that is more co more coherent or logical than another person. But yeah, being rational, I think may escape us as a species. Yeah, it's hard to have access to why you're doing something. But right. you can do it in a very logical way. Right, and I, I think this is kind of extends out because I don't think that there's necessarily an institution that is rational. Like, And it's still we're still creating it by humans. And okay. So, I mean, I, everything that we do, I think, is can be reasonable and reasoned, but I don't know if there's like an institution or a way of op uh, operating that's more rational than, you know, yeah, maybe you should never smoke weed. <laughs> I mean, maybe it's I'm already wrong. Yeah, uh, you're already like out. It's like it would just like blow you away. Um, Some people just don't need it. You know? <laughs> I have a very lucid mind. Um, yeah, so I don't know. Anyway, so that's 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 my one. So, no, that's great. I'm right. sold. Yeah. So uh, resilience and reason in the time of Trump. Yeah, yeah, yeah. we did it. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> we finally got there. Episode nineteen. Um, yeah, Matt. So how you been? We like to start every podcast talking about how we've been in the past week or two. I haven't seen you. We haven't recorded for a couple of weeks. So. Yeah, I've just been busy as hell. So yeah. it's been like it's stressful. Like I, I don't know. I've just been stressed out. Like I've just been a mess. Like uh, in a good way because it's like a lot of interesting stuff. But yeah. it's like I haven't been sleeping well, and you know, like I've been, I don't know, probably just eating crappily and just like just working yeah. and just like grinding stuff out. And it's just the nature of the job is like you have to like get something done that's really hard really quickly yeah and then it just like takes a lot out of you and it's like and if it's like a bunch of shit on top of each other it's just like ah and then you just like have a break and it's like and you have nothing to do it's like apocalypse now where he's doing like tai chi and, <laughs> <laughs> and you just know want what? to get back into this shit <laughs> i took a tai chi class <laughs> yeah how was that so was sunday <laughs> uh this sunday um I, I took a, t a Tai Chi class. I have this subscription service that allows you to take classes at various gyms, and I just had an extra one left over at the end of the month, so I was like, oh, there's a 9.30 Tai Chi class in Astoria, what? which is Astoria's like 20 yeah. minutes away from here. Um, it was interesting. Um, it, it, it is really, it's just very slow and meditative, um, and I could see myself being doing Tai Chi when I, like, cross 65 that's <laughs> right. at least a couple of years away from now um but like tell me about tai chi I've, i mean of course we've all seen it we all are familiar with, with like the character yeah. Yeah, yeah um so i think it's just a it's sort of a meditation and movement okay. um so there are things that are a lot of time i mean there's some basic exercises um and a lot of it has to do with sort of 
there's a basic concept of your flow and opening up your body's flow. I don't buy into any of that. I think it's, I mean, I, I don't know if I, I mean, it's a nice metaphor maybe. Yeah, yeah. Um, there's but, a metamucil for that. <laughs> right, right, exactly. <laughs> um, but, you know, it's, if you're like, it's a lot of just trying to, you know, flexibility and changing your balance and, um, you know, really basic kind of, it's somewhere between like, yoga and kung fu that's the way i I think of it um and it's just uh and tai chi in particular sort of derives a lot from like martial arts um but i can't ever see employing it in a combat situation um but that's okay uh because i plan to only get good at it after 65 so it seems like really useful martial art if you're like dreaming (laughs) you know like if you find yourself in a dream right i would use tai chi right 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 or if, if somehow if you were Forced to fight underwater. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right yeah. then, then tai chi space can... maybe. I don't <laughs> exactly. Vacuum. Yeah, exactly. Um, what? What? Why did? What were you drawn to? What brought you to? You just curious. Well, so I just again, like I just had one thing to um, randomly pick because of the way my my subscription to this service call, uh, works. Um, but uh, and I was like, I would just want something really random. And to me, like I've always. Uh, yeah, I I always want to revisit like the martial arts and dance. Those are the two things. So I'm always really curious about those two things. Um, and so yeah, Tai Chi was available. I had like an open slot. It ended up being like it was a nine thirty on a Sunday morning, so I was the only person in the class. So it was, it was interesting. I don't know if I'd go back. I don't know if I'd do Tai Chi again. How is it taught? Like what is? It's it? just it's just it's so you're in like a mirrored studio. So yeah. if you've ever taken like a dance class or like a like a like certain boxing classes, like you know, it's just like you're surrounded by mirrors. Yeah. The guy does a does a movement and he kind of explains why we do it, and then he just repeats it and sort of gives you pointers while you try to like echo that movement. Is there like forms you like do it like the same movement over and over again? And yeah, like you, I think I think when you get better, there's yeah. a way to link it. So like like what a Japanese martial art would call a kata, like there's yeah. a sequence. Um, you know, here you're just trying to get the basic movements down. It's like one class. How long was you? How long were you in there? An hour. Like, an hour. <laughs> yeah, an hour. And like uh, it was. Um, I was really quiet, like, and I think that was, like, so I was just trying to focus on the thing. And, yeah, like, yeah. You know, like, I'm I think... doing Tai Chi. I'm doing like, Tai Chi, like, I, and I, I think Parara to me is, like, I just don't buy into, like, the whole um, Eastern medicine kind of philosophy. I'm, I guess I'm just really into Western medicine, and this just happens because I'm Indian, and I know, like, there's a system of Indian medicine, which I also don't buy into, <laughs> which I think is... <laughs> let's say 85% hokum. Um, so, um, I don't know. So, like, all the, the, the reasoning, I think I just, I'm not buying into it, so, uh, but I'm curious about the exercise itself because I think it can be helpful. Um, yeah, maybe, again, as we get older. So, yeah, it was just a random thing I did. So you will not go back, though? It doesn't seem like... Uh, it doesn't sound like I'll go back. I'd rather do a, a real martial art, at least <laughs> in the short. The schedule's been a little crazy, yeah, but yeah. I've been talking actually to a mutual friend of ours. I think we may go take an Aikido class together. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and waiting to hear back, but I think, yeah, I think when I get, um, maybe, uh, next couple of weeks, I'll, I've already started doing the research and I kind of know which studios I want to drop by. All right, so. right. You're getting back into it. Yeah. It's finally happening. Yeah, yeah. I know. I've been talking about it for like six months, seven months. I know. Months. It's been like cold. I get it. Like, yeah. yeah. Uh, it like, feels like good to like get outside and like, yeah. do stuff. It's yeah. like, ah, energy is back. Yeah. Uh, the chief flow is like, the chief flow. My, 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 my chief line. <laughs> Um, what about you, man? Uh, how are you de-stressing in all of this? I'm not really. I'm uh, just like I'm just like kind of finally reached. The are period. you drinking more? Maybe 
I am not even drinking anymore. Like, I'm just, like... I guess I'm, I was reading more fiction, but, yeah. like, it was... The books I was working on were really good. Like, the book the book that was... Mainly the book that I was editing, it was... Uh, it's a 100,000-word book about uh, the self-optimization movement. And, uh. and so it's all about just, like... It's, this, it's these two guys, and they go through, and they, like pick a different area of their lives every month and they try to like optimize it right yeah so they're doing like smart drugs and trying to like write a book in a month or yeah. they're like trying to run a marathon in a month yeah. they're like they're trying to like, uh, like solve like the sex in a month like, yeah they're trying to like optimize that and it's, it's really interesting and it's like it's kind of a, a humorous book right? they're two like friends and they've taken this upon themselves and they're like logging it and their like lives kind of fall apart over the course <laughs> we also learn like a lot of interest like, when they get plastic surgery it was it was really fun to work on but it was uh and then in addition to put, putting out my own book like i tend to do the proofing on that this week yeah uh, and that's exciting like, yeah. I like I like putting books out yeah like, I like writing and publishing no I mean it's out. great when you're like working out something and you're fulfilled it's just yeah, like yeah. Hey, it's all you know, not it's, to put in Tai Chi but it's a little bit of balance right yeah like, yeah sometimes like stress is it's own stress relief you know yeah like, getting something done yeah. is like very fulfilling do you think so. uh, do you think your workload is going to ebb yeah definitely it's like yeah. I've, I've, uh, how are you going to celebrate your workflow being. Are I you don't gonna do anything. I don't know. Like, I mean, I'm just gonna. I'm gonna take like a week off and just kind of chill out yeah. for one thing, and then I don't know. Like, yeah, yeah I'd probably work out more. Like, I want have some books I want to read. You know, I was. Um, I had dinner with a friend uh, last week. Actually, I think I invited you. Yeah, and, yeah. And you couldn't make it. It would have been interesting, but she was saying like how she wanted to work a lot less. Yeah. And her friend gave her some advice, and she said, and this friend of the friend said. You can't really um, achieve a negative. Like you can't work less. You just have to like you have to set yourself up uh, to allow uh, yourself to concentrate on other things. So you're like instead of working less, I just want to focus on something else a little bit more. So like it has to be kind of a positive goal. Um, so and then she realized that she has no other goals in life. So like, <laughs> she, she's got to do a little bit of like figuring that out. But like you know if, it, if the goal is to work less. It'll be harder to achieve than it's to say that to uh, I want to work out more or I want to do this thing. Like yeah. I want to spend an extra hour a week doing something like that. Yeah, yeah. Gene told me a dark piece of advice that I laughed at and scoffed at at the time, which I can't fucking get mm -hmm. out of my head, which yeah. is like every week you should either focus on sleep, exercise, or eating. You know, like food, like yeah. one or the other. I'm like, well, that's bullshit, but it's fucking true in some ways. Uh, I, I mean, <laughs> you can't do all three. <laughs> I mean, you should be able to. Maybe if, like, you well, get what to are the three again? Sleep, sleep, exercise, and, and eating yeah. right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I mean, yeah, I, I try to focus on all three, and I will say that my wife focuses on all three <laughs> and pulls it off. Okay. She's like a life master. <laughs> yeah, right. She went to, like, get my teeth. Right, right, right. That's, right. like, how that works. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, they taught her sin. Um, yeah, so, um, yeah, anything else going on? Um... Uh, no, I don't. I don't think so. It's good to see you. Yeah, man. It's been a little while, so yeah, yeah. But uh, yeah, uh, how as have you been? Like, you seem like you're in good spirits. Like. I am in good spirits. I think I had like kind of a rough week emotionally. Like really? I was just like, um, you know, like a, a, a one of the things that I, I I think about a lot actually is um. Uh, I had friends uh, when uh, I've I've had friends since I like since grade school right and I've kept up with those friendships and I've had fr um, you know I made friends throughout my life but I feel like there was a time in my period uh, sorry there was a time in my life say from about twenty to thirty where I was really close to a number of people and I'm not really close to them anymore and I'm someone who is 
uh, somewhat sentimental about his connections in the past. And I, like I said, I had dinner with this friend of mine, and it just made me realize how much I'm not close to people that I was really close to um, in my 20s and 30s. Is, you know, it's a little while for me, but like, it's not so long ago. And uh, uh, I don't know. I don't know how to think about that. Really, I just uh, it's it's sad for me to let those friendships go. But I think most people are. Uh, I mean, it's a process of life. You you don't have that much to connect with certain types of people, or maybe you know you move away, or uh, you no longer have things in common. Um, but I just uh, I don't yeah I'm just not close to these people that I at, at the time I thought I was gonna remain friends with for life with, and uh, I, there was no real falling out with one or two exceptions. But um, yeah, I don't know. Uh, I'm still trying to think about how to process that because I think it, that process of losing people makes me really sad but uh, I also have to be somewhat resolved about uh, you know this I, nothing really happened that I could control it's just you know natural you know a natural sort of uh, eroding of a friendship different paths I guess yeah it, de- it would depend on each friendship yeah, yeah. yeah. so uh, I mean a lot of the people don't live in New York City yeah, anymore yeah, yeah, that, that's harder a, yeah, um, I uh, but you know like I'm uh, I mean, at the same time, like, I think I've made, uh, like, I kept some friendships from way back uh, pretty close. Um, I'm certainly really close to my family. I'm probably closer to my family now than I was maybe 10 years ago. Um, that's certainly um, uh, something that's been rewarding. I think I've made um, some pretty good friends, actually, over the past six or seven years, uh, present company included. Oh, shit, of course. Yeah. yeah. I'm uh, glad to know you. Yeah. It's like a, it's a, it's a fucking joy. Yeah. <laughs> so, like, I think there's a trade-off there, but I, I think... You're also married, you know. That, like, has a, something to it, right? Mm-hmm. To some degree. Yeah, I think... Yeah. I mean, a, a lot of people will say, I think maybe it would be harder if we had kids, but... Yeah. Um, uh, we're married, but we're also pretty social people. I no, think. that's yeah, absolutely Yeah, we, d- we yeah. try to make time for people in our lives. Um, and so uh, I think that's really important. So uh, I, I would actually say that for someone who's relatively old, I continue to make friends, and I think good friends over uh, even now. So Yeah, you're out there doing Tai Chi, doing <laughs> podcasts. <Yeah. laughs> Both of which are like lonely exercises. I mean, you didn't think there was just going to be you there. You, know, you were like, I'm going to meet all my Tai Chi friends, and it's just like you it's and just some me. Uh, uh, So that's something that's been on my mind. I don't, uh, I don't have any great conclusions. It's just, um, you know, I mean, friends from like college or post-college, yeah, I'm just not close to those people, so... Uh, I've you know I've got I've got sort of similar I mean I don't know it's like people the reason the reason why your friends is so kind of arbitrary in some yeah. ways like you're just like around them or they went to the same school you yeah know? and that that can it's not sustainable like eventually you're just gonna like not be around them by the pressure of like this like system anymore right. you know so you have to find a way is it gonna really work you know like or you all move to a commune yeah or you all move to a commune or you like you live in the same you're in the same a- industry or something right. like that that might keep you together yeah. you know you're all engineers or you're all academics or something like that yeah but other than that it can be very hard to like keep keep those bonds going yeah and i think there's something about being uh, uh you have to be really active and, and proactive that's a terrible word but i mean you just have to really extend those bonds a lot like you have to work at friendships especially as you get older it's not just time and place anymore um and then you have to prioritize who do you want to be friends with uh, who do you have in, you know uh are relationships or personalities more difficult or do you have certain connections that make things a lot easier um yeah i i think it's hard it just you have to work at it and you know there are a couple of phases you know there are different people who have different approaches i think um 
my wife in particular, I think, is really good about meeting new people. Yeah. And she's really good about being social. But I think she's also a little bit of like, uh, you know, out of sight, out of mind. Like, so she loses touch with people pretty quickly. And I'm like somewhere in between, right? Yeah, like, yeah, yeah I, I try to maintain relationships. I try to keep in touch with people. I try to meet new people. But, um, uh, yeah, I don't know if I found my balance yet. It definitely affects you. I mean, that's, I mean, it's clear. Like, yeah. So that's, I mean, I don't know. I, I feel for you. It's yeah. Like, it's really, I don't know. I, I hate losing friends. And yeah. It makes me crazy. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, yeah. I don't know. I'm glad. I'm glad. I'm glad. I'm glad we're friends, friends at least. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I'll, be, I'll be around. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's hard to get rid of me. Actually, <laughs> <laughs> I've had friends forever. I'm sure, rather than not hear my bullshit. Right, anymore. right. Well, so but if we if we move out of the neighborhood, right? Does yeah. Mean yeah. I, I like I have to like continue to like check out check you out on Facebook because I can't do that, man. I, can't. I I think you will find that I go to Brooklyn all the time. I would be coming to Queens. It's like, <laughs> <laughs> I unfortunately like I travel. I'll travel where the people are. You know. Where, want to see okay. we're going to meet up in Manhattan but I, I don't I don't want I'm not leaving Queens like, yeah, yeah, yeah. you'll have to pull me out by my fingernails yeah, yeah, yeah. I love this neighborhood yeah but uh yeah uh so should we talk about yeah let's talk our to new them. friends politics yeah. <laughs> so Trump let's talk a little bit about politics yeah exactly so um I think the big news over the past couple of weeks has really been uh the Ossoff election, yeah. or, or the uh, Georgia's special election. Georgia 6. Georgia 6. Um, not so much South Carolina 5, <laughs> Georgia 6. Um, so, uh, I guess, uh, first reactions, were you surprised that uh, he didn't win? I was 0% surprised that he yeah. didn't win. But, I mean, I'd, it would have been surprising if he did win. Yeah. But, uh, I mean, it seems like... I don't know. I, it's a special election, right? Which means it's an election because somebody left to go be part of Trump's cabinet, right? right. So in this, this case, a, he was picked especially. Yeah. yeah. So this is. A, I mean, that's usually what special elections after a presidential yeah. election are, right? And usually they all go to the. But you know, you don't. That's one of the things that they try to make sure happens. They don't pick somebody from a bubble district, you know. Yeah. Pick somebody from a safe district, and it's going to go the way they want it to go. Right. You know? don't want to accidentally overturn that. It looks really bad. So yeah. I mean, it would have been awesome if the Democrats had been able to flip it, but I'm not surprised that they couldn't. Yeah, and so did you ever, did you go through the process of, like, doing an autopsy of what the Democrats did wrong, or? It was the Republicans to lose, and they didn't lose it. Yeah. You know, it became a national election, which meant that the voter turnout was really high, and so we yeah. lost, you know? Yeah. If he'd been able to sneak it in there. Like, the time frame to win was... When he, the right was divided, right, and, uh, and that was not—he couldn't pull that one out. He got very close, like, yeah. That, but then, you know, I think everybody kind of knew, including he had to like fight, of course. But like, yeah, coming off of that, it felt like you know, well, that's pretty much it. You know, maybe a win, but yeah. right. I think I think we're in a real danger of sort of overlearning a lesson, yeah. yeah. Um, so that there you can take uh, you can read into the Georgia six election um, where we lost and where the Democrats spent a lot of money. Yeah. And you can say, well, the reason that we didn't do it is for this reason, um, or the reason that we weren't able to turn over the district was this reason or another reason. And it's, you're always picking your favorite reasons. But I think it's like you said, it's important to keep in mind that the odds were not stacked in our favor. They were. It seemed like it was pretty unlikely. Um, again, the reason that the there was a special election it was because the Republicans always thought it was a safe seat. It turned out to be. 
not a great assumption. It was a pretty close race, but the uh, again, the odds just seemed not in Democrats' favor, and that's yeah. something to keep in mind. Um, I think the lesson I would think we would want to learn is, in certain cases like this, I don't know if we need to spend $30 million. <laughs> We're not an infinite pool of money, right. so maybe uh, better... Uh, ways of spending money, and to the degree I think actually spending that much money trying uh, to raise the vote, I think actually probably turned off voters. Um, yeah, yeah. But I mean, you know, if you're looking at like that, that election is going to come up again. Yeah. You know, if you're trying to build a network, if you like think that's a future place where you can flip a seat. Yeah. You know, the groundwork and infrastructure is there, and eventually. Yeah, if it's sustainable, yeah, right? Yeah. Like, I think one of the things is that you pick up, you build groundwork very, or you build. Uh, electoral infrastructure very quickly, but I think you dismantle it after an election. I think that's maybe a problem that the Democrats or any political organization has. Like, the minute the election is over, that infrastructure just crumbles. Yeah, so I'm curious as to how the money got spent. If it was all just, like, TV ads and flyers, that's bad news. But if if they're actually trying to create, like, democratic infrastructure in this district and try to, like, do the, you know grassroots thing of yeah. networking with people and empowering people in the community to become like democratic like yeah and give them a train them like training right. for the future for presidential elections for future uh, efforts you know yeah and, and I, I mean to me well spent. I, I we i think you mentioned something about moving the goalposts so like it, it definitely wasn't a win for the democrats but you were able to turn out 99 percent of De- the number of, or ninety-nine percent of the Democrats that you saw in a major election. Yeah. Um, so for a special election, which is kind of unheard of, yeah. uh, the Republicans won by uh, turning out something like sixty-six yeah. percent. So like, it it's a Republican district, district like, right? Exactly. Thing, you yeah. Know? Like, I guess the, the hope was that they would flip to vote against this guy, but he's like a young. He's like the people. He's like the liberal that people hate. You know, yeah. he's like young and attractive and like doesn't stand for much. I mean, he's like yeah. He's like a caricature of like southern. Right. So like, I mean, you would have to think about who would appeal to a southerner, and and I think this is also like a longer term strategy, yeah. right? Which is how does the Democratic Party win by trying to take over Republican seats, or does it win by making sure its base is really active? And I don't think. I mean, I obviously have my own conclusions, um, and you can say that, oh, the lesson here is, but I think I would be preaching my own overlearned lesson if I said that, oh, we should maintain to the center, or we should tack to the center as much as possible. Um, the truth is that in order to win, you have a large coalition in the Democratic Party, so you have to both excite the base, and you also have to figure out how to steal seats from Republicans. Um, yeah, and also just looking at the demographics, like if you just look at the population on a map, yeah, you know, it's like the corridor kind of flows down the East Coast and then into Georgia. So yeah. like eventually there's going to be a shitload of people there, and you know more people usually means a Democratic stronghold. Like human beings, you know, tend to go Democrat. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> there's not. I mean, you know, if you look at a big city, it just becomes. Yeah, like, I mean, like yeah, yeah, sure, cities tend to be yeah, Democratic yeah, yeah. institutions. Um, yeah. So I, yeah, again, like I just don't know what the great if there are any great conclusions. I would say, though, uh, you know, 538 uh, ran kind of a chart, and it's very clear that all the special elections, they've shown what uh, a move to the left yeah. uh, from the baseline trend, what you'd expect. And maybe the move to the left for uh, Georgia 6 wasn't as big, it wasn't enough to put you over the line, but certainly all the special uh, elections have shown a, a shift to the left. Now, that's eight points, and there are eight points in the district when the uh, and maybe in districts 
uh, the, the difference is 20 points. So it's not enough to, to put you over the line to flip districts. But, um, yeah, I think that's actually pretty encouraging, should that momentum continue. So uh, the real worry, I think, now is whether or not the momentum will continue. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I don't know. I, I, I'm kind of glad there's not a, like, easy victory. I think the, the victory will be all next year when everybody works really hard for the midterm elections, right? Like, yeah. That should be it. You know, everybody, no one should feel happy. They should feel like shit and then work you know, like dogs in order to get, like, their congressmen and, you know, these... Right. I think uh, one of the questions, uh, it brings up two points, I think, yeah. rather, is that, one, can the Democrats and the left maintain their momentum, especially yeah. after spending so much money and energy and hopes, getting their hopes up for Georgia 6? I hope they can. Yeah. And again, I mean, it's resilience being the, uh, the, the watchword here. Yeah, I, I hope they're resilient to this kind of failure, right? Yeah, yeah, um, exactly, yeah. yeah. Uh, and at the... Number uh, and I think the second point is that if if uh, if the Democrats had managed to swing any one of those districts, um, and South Carolina was actually relatively close too. I think it was only a three point difference. Yeah, it's just fucking shocking. Yeah, that was amazing. Yeah. Um, so and that's a gerrymandered district. So so that I think that says something. Um, if the Repu- if Democrats had swung either one of those districts, uh, the uh, the Republicans would have taken notice, right? So right now, I think the Republicans are starting to feel like the the wind is to their backs. Uh, they have now they've uh, endured a pretty shitty six months. Now it's time for them to um, rebound and gain momentum. And I think that will actually make them lax, yeah, yeah and yeah. and a little lazy, right? Whereas the Democrats being handed a defeat not only in 2016 but over the past several years in terms of local elections or state governorships. Um, I think there's a lesson to be learned, a, a lesson to figure out how to um, reconcile their own values with trying to figure out how to bring in more people, especially in a land-weighted electoral system. Um, how do you how do you play the game of politics? And you have to. And I think that you know a little time in the woods actually helps a party. Uh, and I think an immediate tumbling of Trump or whatever people were hoping for would actually mean that the party didn't really learn their lessons. And I don't know whatever they come out with, um, if they had a very shallow time in, or a very short time in the in, in the wilderness, whether or not they would have been able to build a, a sustainable coalition. Do you think of yourself as a Democrat? Like, when you, when you like, see news about Republicans and Democrats, do you think, that is me, I am a Democrat? So, I, th- um, I'll say... Yes and no. So yeah. I think in the way that uh, my voting habits are, they're pretty down the, yeah, down the yeah. line Democrat. Like yeah. I think it's rare for me to vote for Republican. Um, like I'd vote for Bloomberg. Um, I would vote for um, the protest vote in my old district in uh, Crown Heights because <laughs> the Democratic machinery had like uh, their candidate tied up. And there was this one guy who's like a... Uh, decriminalization, libertarian, Republican. I was like, "All right, man, I, you got my vote." I mean, um, but I, 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 I vote Democrat yeah. almost exclusively. I can't really. I don't. I rarely vote for anything like the Greens or anything like that, and I don't vote Libertarian. Um, but when I think when it, the news comes to me, like I'm not like, oh, you know, like oh, liberals are saying this or conservatives are saying that or the Democrats versus the Republicans. I'm like, no. I mean, you're human beings. All human beings are inherently flawed and stupid including myself so like i'm not i I don't think i take to that tribal mentality um but i think i think the democrats do have certain values that i value like there's some certain core beliefs that i think are really important and i think instinctually i 
I tend to those. What values do the Democrats have today that are still that are from their inception? Like what what did Jackson uh, fuse like the? Democrats? So I wouldn't say so. Uh, I think that's dangerous, right? Yeah. Like I don't I don't think you can. I mean, everyone tries to be like, oh, party of Jefferson and Jackson. I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, we're fucking crackers. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like but there were also it was the party of Burr, you know, the city machine. Like yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah absolutely. I mean, so yeah. I think I think the parties really flip yeah. uh, uh, somewhere between 1952 and 1968, right? Like yeah. so, what the modern Democratic Party is is post 1968, right? Yeah. And so like. Um, I think there are important core values, right? Yeah. Like, so I think there is a, uh, a way of thinking about how uh, government is out there. Uh, one of the responsibilities is to protect the rights of minorities mm-hmm. um, and people who are disenfranchised. I yeah. think that is something that is, in, that is in the ethos of the Democratic Party, whether or not they always do it, whether or not they do it effectively, whether or not they're there. Even when they were like, you know, there was the Klan taking over, they were, it was a populist, right? They were like <laughs> saying, we're doing it for the little guy. <laughs> <laughs> so that's why I say, like, I think it's okay to get... No, I mean... I mean, I mean yeah. I'm, not, I'm not arguing yeah, that yeah. The, the Democrats were saints. I remember Robert Byrd yeah, as yeah, being yeah. just a shit yeah. clan yeah. guy. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there are really, really horrible reasons. Well, I do think of myself as a Democrat. Like, I mean, and I've, I've come to this, and I've tried to, like, make peace with it. But I think that's one of the things that we need to investigate, interrogate, is like, what is good about the Democratic Party? Like, what right. is, it needs to be resold to people. Right. Like, I think they've just, you know, they, they see it as this, like, machine of the, a meaningless thing. And right. Just like, whatever neoliberal, you know, the, like this right. uh, octopus that has no, like, core values or, you know, like, mm-hmm. but I think it really does. I think liberal democracy is its own, like, flavor that is... Wonder, it's the oldest political party for one thing. It is, you know, older than the Communist Party. It's older right. than every other political party, right? Yeah. Like, the Democratic Party. It's like the the political party it invented, you know, Aaron right. Burr came in and invented this, like, <laughs> system of, like, you know, putting people in the back of, you know, wagons and getting them to a polling place in order for, in, in return for, like, food or, like, right. cash, you know? Yeah. Like, a machine, right? Yeah, like, yeah, what yeah. does it stand for? Stands for itself, you know? <laughs> but there's something to that, you know? There's something to, like, the this, you know, we all kind of pull together, like, the, you know, it's a big tent. It's yeah. like, you know, everybody's going to get something for, you know, it's not, there's not, a, like, a value, it's not conservative, there's no, like, values, there's no, like... It's the value of, like, these are the people, and this is what they want. They want these ten things, and we're not going to get any of them unless we all work together, right? Right. Whatever I those think, ten things are, change. Yeah, I like, think so. I mean, I, I think there's a... Uh, uh, there's, uh, to me, I think the Democratic Party also has a suspicion of, like, a majoritarian ethos, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, or it has until recently, right? Yeah, like, um, where all of a sudden, uh, there's also a deep kind of belief in the counterculture, right? Yeah, like, yeah. I think there's something they really identified with. Uh, and to be honest, I'm okay with that, right? Yeah, like, yeah. I mean, I'm not, uh, I'm not a huge nationalist. Yeah. I'm not, um, uh, I don't think that, uh, that majoritarian thinking is great where, yeah. uh, and I think that, uh, a lot of times, um, the machinery of government is used against to trammel the rights of minorities and I think that the Democratic Party is sensitive to that and that is something I I really appreciate about the Democratic Party Um, and that is something that unless I I mean 
in some ways, this also plays into sort of identity politics and, and victimization. Yeah. Uh, but I also think that the Republicans or the conservatives play that a lot. Like, so all of a sudden, the movement between, behind religious liberty is just an echo of, like, kind of the worst character of Democratic instincts or the Democratic Party's instincts. I don't know. Um, if you're a sinner, congratulations, you're a Democrat. That's right. how I think about it. Like, well, I mean, do you think something there, sexy about that? Well, you know? I mean, so do you think there are uh, other core values? To the Democratic Party? Yeah. Uh, cunning. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I don't know. The Republicans had Nixon. It's true. I mean, you know, but that's the back and forth of it. Right. You know, Nixon was not president forever. Right. That's Things true. happened to Nixon. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but uh, it's you know, so there's a, there's a, just a low cunning that like the Republicans can't ever seem to shake. You know, mm-hmm. it's still happening with Trump. You know, I don't I don't know how much of the fight against them is bullshit. We'll never know. That's the cunning of Democrats. It's like, we all want to say they're like, they're not effective at what they do. And right. they seem that way because that's part of the democratic strategy. Like, right. And, but they managed to effectively troll the president all the time. Constantly. Right. Like, and, I mean, if, if, if Russia is completely made up, yeah, yeah. it is, that is brilliant. amazing. That's, that's like the greatest. It's, oh. it's not, but it would be like it's. The it's so thing. brilliant. Like yeah. he, he can't help himself. He's yeah. going to get angry about this. Yeah, yeah, He's yeah. going to tweet. He's he basically tweeted his way into getting investigated, yeah. like uh, into a special prosecutor, right? Yeah, like, yeah. fantastic. Yeah. Good job, Democrats. Yeah. So that's the kind of thing I, you know, they they really understand. I mean, it's less apparent now than it used to be i think mitch mcconnell's kind of a genius but they used to just really understand the process and and like how to use the process to their advantage yeah just because they're the you know they're older they're like they're the system they're they're like i mean and they uh, they also believe that the federal government has a place so like they're not trying to tear it down yeah yeah, yeah. um so they have something vested in the institutions that uh, I don't know, govern the land. Okay. I mean, that's another thing. I think I'm not a huge fan of federalism, right? right. I, I, I say so federalism being an argument that, you know, you should try to devolve powers to the state or that the state, the powers of the state, uh, individual states sort of balance out a large uh, bureaucracy or a federal national bureaucracy. And I've just never been a fan of that. I often, I mean, this is one of the things that I just don't dig about conservatism is that belief that somehow being closer or having uh, that state governments are a purer exercise of democracy. And that, to me, is much more of a cultural argument that... What's well, just a, an argument to protect slavery? It's like there's nothing, <laughs> yeah, there's it's, it's no been, other reason. It's been, like, it's been extended. Yeah, right, right, right. For, for then for it was civil rights. Yeah, it was anti-civil yeah, rights. Yeah, and, like, yeah. now the Democrats are rediscovering states' rights. But, I mean... Yeah. There is no reason to believe that the de- that that a state government is any less corrupt or any more responsive than a, a large federal bureaucracy, insofar as there are levers uh, operating that allow people to vote um, for both the national elections and state elections, and a lot of times state powers go untra- unchecked. Right, like there's a, you can have a very um, you can have a very activist state government, and they can effectively uh, trample on the rights of minorities, or um, you know, in the name of majoritarianism, do a lot of like crazy, stupid shit. Um, and so, having a federal government that is, you know, has a has a bureaucracy, has more institutions, and has uh, has more traditions in place, I think it, it allows a little bit of a uh, a more reasoned way to th- approach government, a more professional way to run, run, approach government, as opposed to like state governments, yeah. which are we're often kind of a little ad hoc. 
Do you think there are definite values for being a conservative or a Republican? Yeah, I think there's. I think it's very tied to religion. For, I mean, I think I think there's like you know like a very Protestant religious. I think there always has been. You know, even with even with abolitionism. You know, it was like that was coming out of the the you know Protestant churches in the Northeast. Not right. You know. So I I think there are definite. Uh, set of core set of beliefs yeah. on the conservative side or the Republican side. One is small government. Yeah, I think conservatism yeah. often has a way of, of looking at the world uh, that it's fundamentally changing yeah. and being sort of appalled by that. Yeah, right. Yeah. Like, and I think that is something uh, that I, I think is just a wrong way to look at the world. I think it's a wrong way to look at life. Right. So that that way of talking, like sitting upon a, a wave and saying stop. Right. Yeah, like that yeah. that classic Buckley quote. Like. That's yeah. conservatism, right? Like, what my grandfather did was right. Yeah, yeah, That's conservatism. And I don't necessarily think that that's why my values aren't that conservative. Now, we can have different arguments about certain planks of the conservative platform, which I kind of like. Um, but uh, that sense of being afraid of change, of right. being afraid, and also being really uncomfortable with something that is different from your own kind of tradition, I think is I think that's conservatives too, where I think... Democrats and liberals are, if anything, overly comfortable with something that is different than their own. Right, but even that, I'd say, if you're conservative, but you believe that other people have a point and you should listen to them, yeah. you're a Democrat. <laughs> <laughs> it's like at the, you've already crossed the line at that point. Right. Like, maybe these. Are, I find it interesting. What I, this think, I think says. that's. A, I, I would like to believe that, but I feel like the Democrats are no longer arguing that. Right? They should be. I mean, that's what I'm saying. Like right. now is the time to reinvestigate what it means to be a Democrat, right. and I think people have ceded this territory and let themselves be defined by the Republicans right. for too long because we just haven't had it's been we've been too welcoming and open you know and we haven't had a reason to like define what it means to be a Democrat again in this you know like milieu right for this generation yeah you know people if you're just like young and smart you just like default to the left or whatever right. but like a Democrat what does that mean you know? right and I think it's time to like Get into that, like interrogate why, and like find a way to become a Democrat or don't. But like, if you can, then you'll be a lot more powerful than somebody who can just like who just like follows them like a sports team and like doesn't really believe one way right. or the other. Hopes they win, but does nothing to help them. Yeah. Right, exactly. Yeah. This is this is politics. It's yeah. not sports, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, so there is something participatory, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and it's kind of up to us to like contribute what we think should be the values, right? Um, Interesting, though, we haven't really talked about anything like economics, right? Right, that's a good point. Yeah, yeah so, I mean, um, and so there are, I think, core democratic beliefs that believe that the state has a, especially in America, the, the state has uh, a larger role to play, um, that often the markets are there, uh, are either uh, they don't function or they don't function in a way that's socially optimal, um, and so that institutions can somehow outweigh the market and steer it towards a socially optimal outcome. Um, to me, actually, this is where I split with the Democrats. So, yeah, yeah. Yeah. No, I hear you. I mean, I I don't necessarily know if that's possible, but I, I like the dream of it. So like, <laughs> I'm always interested to see people try as long as it's not Venezuela or North Korea. But, it's, you know, I think, there's, I, think, I think people want to feel like their government is helping them economically, you know. And that nah. is something that maybe it's false, but... The, the way that Democrats talk about the government and its economic policy is like fueling this. Like we're trying to like make things better for you, right? As opposed to like hands off, let's let capitalism crush you. And right, I think survive. in some ways the Democratic argument 
won the day, right? Because yeah. when things go wrong in the economy, it's not a conservative viewpoint. It's not like, oh, you know what? I screwed up. I yeah. shouldn't have borrowed that. It's like, oh, someone let me borrow money against my house. Burn the banks. And the Jews. Um, so, like, um, so I think that's... I think that's it. Like, I think the Democrats Democrats have won that argument. I actually really don't love that argument. But other things I have, uh, uh, I appreciate the Democratic Party for. Yeah, I mean, I would, I, I would, I agree with you in the large part. I would hope that the Democrats would return to a more substantive human rights message as opposed to an economic one. I mean, I think the other thing that the Democratic Party uh, actually lined up with the Trump wing, too, is you know this anti-free trade movement, yeah. which I don't love. Yeah. I mean, I think there's... There's some, but that again, that's an economic argument, yeah, right? That's yeah. um, and I, I just I. Trade is a game, and you know there are great benefits to it. Just ask China, and yeah. but and I think there are, you can really get screwed by it. And the important thing is that you have to learn how to play the trade game that if, in a way that affects and helps your people, and maybe and and part of that exchange would be that it probably helps other people too, right? Like, it's not a zero-sum game. Yeah, it's, it's amazing. It's, like, a great technology. Right. Like it's the te- you definitely pick that technology tree yeah. every time. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, absolutely, yeah. So, um, yeah, you know, I, I also say I want to say that there's something about a conservative... One thing, another thing I don't love about a conservative ethos is a way of looking at people who are different than you and I think there is something deep about being conservative where um, uh, where they're the way that they and I think I brought this up in the past is or it's there is a delineation between what you are and where you are from and what is outside of that and you're always willing to overstate the risk of crossing that line so whether or not there is just a, a high perception of risk coming from the outside that I just don't like like I think that's a that is the modern conservative ethos right like uh, whether it be um, illegal immigrants so like conservatives think about illegal immigrants as this font of crime whereas I mean it's it, I mean it, there are there are there will be people killed by illegal immigrants there will be people robbed by illegal immigrants but that doesn't. But you're not arguing about what a beautiful way to die. Yeah, by someone who's worked so hard. Most people are killed by some lazy asshole. And this person's crossed borders to murder you. I think that's impressive. Right. So like, I think we just don't value like yeah. I, it, we don't. The, there's a and I don't know if it's modern or if it's always been there, but there's a way of saying like once we cross the line of being different from us, the way that we we tend to value whether or not they're good. It's completely weighted towards this. This element is risky, so it's both illegal immigrants or uh, or voter fraud, right? So, like, voter fraud always outweighs voter suppression. Or um, um, ah, anything that has to do with terrorism, right? Like, yeah, I mean, these, yeah, Muslims these... are a risk, right? So the way they're still willing to play that that difference game yeah, that I think drugs is, definitely that's a key yeah game. absolutely yeah. there's just a lot of perceived risk and yeah. I to me that is a modern conservative ethos that I don't think the Democrats have and I think that 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 way that willingness to both embrace change and embrace things that are different uh, I think that's part of the core values of the Democratic Party that I, I really like yeah yeah I mean I think that's yeah it's not true no, it's not always true it's yeah. not maybe things are changing but in general that's, that's something I'm 
appreciate it. Yeah, for sure. Uh, well, let me know if you're ever ready to think of yourself as a Democrat. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, I, I mean, you know, I know, I know you. I'm I just mean, saying. So, like, so I'm just saying, like, I mean, if you measure a Catholic by their actions, yeah, yeah. then I'm a Democrat yeah, by my actions, yeah, yeah, for sure. But yeah. I mean, I think most people, I think a lot of people are you know? right. And there's this sense of like, you know, this like suspicion or like guarded. You know, like I don't know. I, I don't. I guess I don't think there's anything great about it. Like, it doesn't make you a better person right. to become a Democrat. Right. But shit, like that's the power block that protects me. In my <laughs> right. Know? Like, yeah. I'm, I'm not gonna. I don't think there's there's no functional gain in going up against the gang that is like meeting outside. Right. If they're like for me and it's everybody else, it's, like the entire neighborhood's part of this gang. Like, yeah. I'm not gonna not join up. That's amazing. What a great gang. <laughs> I mean, it also like a great. Well, I mean, there's something about a there's something nice about having yeah. a large tent party, yeah, right? I, I like, think that's great. You, you have I mean, to you have a policy. For that's why it's the things. oldest party. It's like right. that was like the terror technology. It's like we yeah. it, we may not agree on anything else, but we both agree that we need to be in power in right. order to make whatever our you thing we we want to have happen happen is. And then we can both pull the trigger on it. And if it doesn't hurt us, you know, we can have this like dark bargain between us about yeah. these two things. You know, this, this kind of reminds me, uh, I'm going to go on a semi-tangent here, but like, um, I think when we talk about the two-party system, a lot of people are like, oh, uh, people tend to look at it as a failure. And they say, oh, my views aren't represented by one party or another. I'm a combination or I'm something else entirely. And they talk about wanting a coalition, but or like a multi-party coalition, right? right. Like uh, you see maybe now in the UK but and certainly in places like Germany um, where they have lots of little parties and then they try to form together uh, and some big parties and they try to form a coalition that allows them to uh, put together legislation and and, and, you know put out policy Um, but those things are messy and they also uh, they can be a little chaotic too Um, and like there was one and the reason I bring this up is there was um, at some point uh, the Green Party had allied with the left party in Germany, um, and the head of the Green Party was a guy named Joseph Fischer. Who cares, right? But so, like, when it came for them to rule, right, they had to give him a post, so they put him in charge of foreign policy, and it was a Green Party. It was like a proper European Green Party. They cared about the environment, yeah. uh, and that was it. Like, I mean, he had nothing to say about like nuclear war or like or disarmament or military. It was just. It was, and, or if he had something to say, it was just a very narrow sense of, like, war is bad. Like, yeah, yeah. I mean, so uh, having sort of smaller parties who are really articulate but focus on single issues is hard, right? Like, it's a, it, it also brings together an unwieldy coalition. Think about what's happening with the Tea Party or, the, or the, that 40-person rump of the Republican Party. They only have like one agenda and they're really hard to deal with so yeah and there's they're way more like primordial or like evolutionary they like fight it out amongst themselves and the greatest idea wins then it crushes all the other ideas yeah like, this is the new idea this is our and, talking point yeah, and then yeah. we don't stray from that yeah. and, and so. there's a strength to that it's yeah. an admirable strength but i don't personally believe it is as powerful the strength as a coalition right. like a group of people with a lot of disparate opinions and ideas that are like have each other's backs because like they I don't know there's some humanity to it I don't know I I approve of that like form of political management as opposed to like the testosterone fueled fight to be in charge yeah I mean I think there's something seductive about having someone who's has a very simple message and it sticks to it I mean you know maybe yeah. Not like, me, like not president. my brand. Yeah, yeah no. that, that's that's why we have this, yeah. this podcast. Yeah. We can define to Trump. <laughs> yeah, right. yeah. Uh, I think I, that's it for politics from me. Yeah, yeah. yeah. anything else? 
nope. normally we have a section where we go. Uh, we normally have a section called uh, "Doubling Down on Defeat," where we talk about the Democrats and how they screwed things up. But I think we've already done that. Yeah. So <laughs> let's just move on to. Um, let's just move on to outside the bubble, where yeah. we talk about sources outside our liberal elitist bubble that we think are interesting and worth following up on. Well, I have a couple actually. Uh, one is this great podcast that you gotta listen to. It's fantastic. Uh, I'll, f- I'll first ask you this question. Sure. Uh, where do you think what what university do you think turns out the most philosophy majors in the U.S.? Yeah, yeah. Most philosophy majors. Just like by percentage, not like raw numbers, because it's probably oh, uh, state school. Yeah. yeah. Uh, by percentage, uh, undergrad. Yeah, uh, undergrad. Um, I don't know, like Harvard? West Point. West Point, yeah. interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, anyway, the, the, and the podcast I'm, talk, I'm, I'm recommending is uh, this podcast called Hi-Fi Nation. Okay. And it's a philosophy podcast. Okay. And it blew my mind. Like, I've been searching for this, like, my entire podcast life, and it's great. It's really, really good. The premise of it is it takes, like, or it takes stories and then it abstracts them and then turns them into philosophy and then, like, thinks about the bigger principles okay. behind it. And it's by this guy, Barry Lamb, out of Duke. Okay. Uh, and it's only done with its first season. Uh, but a lot of the podcast episodes, I've listened to the whole thing and just yeah. like, that, you know, I needed it in my brain. I needed yeah. it to touch the scratch an itch for me. Sure. Is always kind of there. But a lot of, many of the episodes were about, he's, he's got kind of a, like, he, he kind of focuses on this and he's like, oh shit, well, how come, it's one of his obsessions, like, how come all these soldiers are so interested in philosophy? Yeah. Like, and it's growing, like, the philosophy program at West Point is like this, you know, kind of expanding thing where people are getting more involved into it and it's becoming like bigger and Mm -hmm. greater Uh, whereas philosophy programs around the country are kind of contracting and uh, uh, there's a two uh, episode uh, set on just war theory yeah which is fascinating because like now we don't know I mean now the kinds of wars we fight we don't really have a moral or uh, philosophical basis for why we fight them and how we should prosecute them. Sure. And we have, you know, a lot of them to fight who are involved in, you know, theaters of conflict all over the right. world, right? Uh, and they're just, like, trying to figure that out over there. Like, right. they are not, you know, it's something that's a real problem if you're at West Point. Like, yeah. You have to, you sit down every day and that's, like, your career, you know? Right. And the tools that you have to, like, figure that out are not going to be served by something like engineering or that's, right. that's another tool you're going to learn that later you're going to be an officer you have a specialization right. so like the tools of philosophy are really sort of like helping to kind of create this like new managerial slash soldier slash police class right? interesting and they're they're really like into it it's like this thing that's uh, kind of happened uh, there's another one about like women soldiers like mm-hmm. and how they're you know what it means to be a soldier what are like the qualities of a soldier that's cool I guess until now, soldier is just defined as like masculine, like hyper masculinity. Right. But that's not true anymore, right? Like, so what does that mean then? But there's a lot more different kinds. Of, that's just three that I thought were interesting, kind of in an outside the bubble way. And I recommend those. Like, okay. there's, you know, awesome. The philosophy of West Point is just interesting. It's yeah. like, interesting to hear these like soldiers talk about what they get out of philosophy. This like that's awesome. But uh, then the other thing I'd recommend is I'm um, reading, reading this book, The Orphan Master's Son. Have you, have you heard of this book? I've definitely heard of the book again. Yeah, it won the Pulitzer Prize a couple of years ago. Uh, and I guess I didn't know what it was about. I thought it was about something else. But it's about North Korea. Uh, oh, it's okay. a book about uh, just like uh, a North Korean soldier 
uh, attempting to defect kind of and his travails and like what North Korean government is mm-hmm. like and what it's like to live and work and you know be mm-hmm. North Korean and a worker's paradise in a worker's paradise and uh, gosh I, guess, I mean I guess we all kind of know a little bit about North Korea but I was pretty like it's really brutal it's like yeah. a dystopian novel like in the modern you know and it's fucking dark and I would recommend anybody read it if you're trying to get get a hand on where North Korea is coming from or what they're uh, thinking over yeah. there, uh, and what their goals are I guess and what their history is like you know it's a great it's fiction but it's a, an interrogation of I guess like North Korean the North Korean soul that I, I thought was interesting and worth worth checking out okay. uh, it's it's bleak I mean it's basically it's like it reads like a like Brave New World in 1984 or something it's got like a the same sense of like this is a totalitarian society and this is like one right. person you know crashing up against it uh and it's so i think it's a little bit overblown in that sure. end like i think it's a little bit has a propagandistic nature to it that i'm a little bit resistant to but at the same time you know you like look at the facts of it and it's like that's pretty you know there's a lot of fucking dark shit going yeah. on so you know it is for me I, I don't know if we should be invading north korea i don't know what the cost would be of right. that but it, immense. It, would, it would be immense but it was definitely you know worth checking out that's what's going on over there there's a cost to not invading as well okay. and it's good to know that when you make a decision not to you know? yeah um so cool all right so orphan master son yeah. and uh high foundation high foundation okay yeah i will check those out Cool. All right. So, random shit. What yeah. do you want to talk about for random shit? I don't know. We can talk about philosophy. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right. Let's yeah. let, let's go for philosophy. Did you want to do that? <laughs> You're crossing your hands and leaning forward. <laughs> uh, I don't know. I don't know if I want to do this. I'm out. I'm out. <laughs> uh, so I. Uh, uh, so you may not have known this about me, but I actually uh, thought I was going to be a philo major in college. What? No shit, really. Yeah, yeah. Oh, no. I was so. Um, uh, that's what I thought I was going to do, actually. Yeah. At Columbia, no less. Like, yes, at Columbia. Uh, and so, I mean, part of and part of where I went to school is that you had to study philosophy, right? You at least had to do the great works. Sure. Yeah. And then I had to. I did more, um, but um, yeah. So I. Uh, I have always loved philosophy, so I'm happy to have this conversation with yeah, someone yeah, who's yeah. actually studied it in a more rigorous manner than I have. I wouldn't say rigorous. I was a pretty bad philosophy student. <laughs> I got my, you know, because I, I, I didn't, there was a lot of, uh, like, I just don't believe in metaphysics, which is a bold statement, but, like, I get, don't believe in it. It's yeah. like, I believe in physics. Like, yeah. So that's an entire discipline of philosophy that shut down to me and I had a lot of horrifying <laughs> conversations with professors like yeah. why are we doing this like I think it's all wrong I think, <laughs> I think there's a way to test things and that turns yeah. out to be science <laughs> we got there right. you know like Check. it's still philosophy it's right. just a really rigorous form of it that gets results you yeah. know and you may it may not be a hundred percent true, but it's a hundred percent replicable. Right. So that was something. So that that's if you if you kind of decide that you're against metaphysics, that's something that does get shut down to. Yeah, I mean, I, I you know the people I know who major in philosophy, they, uh, if they didn't come from like a math background, they also <coughs> tended to fall apart during like symbolic logic. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> but my you know my areas of interest were epistemology okay. and uh, uh, ethics and aesthetics. Um, so I, uh, I think I was, I had like a special project even in high school to study philosophy. I would say that I, I, uh, was drawn, uh, 
first to the existentialists. I yeah, think. yeah. I guess I was a high school student. Right? Sure. Like, yeah, I mean, yeah. That's, yeah, yeah. It's yeah. anime and like yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> anime. Um, and uh, then I think in college, uh, I particularly liked Foucault. So like I guess I stuck with the French. Really? Yeah. I I'm surprised you were a Foucault a Foucault guy. Um, I thought I, I like Foucault the way I think I like the Beastie Boys. <laughs> <laughs> I like Foucault. Yeah, I hate all his fans. Yeah, that's fair. That's I like fair. Beastie Boys. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I hate all their fans. They're terrible. Yeah, sure. I mean, he's a beautiful writer, right? Yeah, I, like, yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, I, I think he's really important. I think it's yeah. important to think about the world in a way that um, we're trapped by our language and we're trapped in a certain place in a certain time, and that's it's really hard to. Uh, we have a lot more. In, in, in common with our, our our place and our time rather than some sort of uh, trajectory throughout history. You know, I, I, I take that back. I'm not surprised. You definitely seem like a continental philosopher. Like, <laughs> fan. like that yeah. seems like something, that seems like an area, like a tradition that I can definitely see you getting yeah. into. I, I agree. It's like, it's, very, it's the best writing. It's like, it's beautiful, you know. Yeah. They have an emphasis on also making it pretty, like, which I, I like as opposed yeah. to, I guess, the analytics. Who, uh, so how much, rewrite math. Um, yeah, how much, uh, I guess, how much practical philosophy do you do? I mean, like, how much do you feel like it? How useful was it? For uh, I would say it shaped and changed my life and continues to. Yeah. I mean, like, aesthetics is a whole form of philosophy, yeah. right? And yeah. I, I, you know, I definitely believe that one of the highest pursuits that philosophy teaches is to like try to write, you know, write books and try to convey ideas. To yeah. Them. Like you know, the existentialists were all also novelists. You know. Right. They had their beliefs but then they you know believed in projects right? and they also believed in putting food on the table <laughs> sure yeah yeah exactly <laughs> one sold really well yeah yeah exactly yeah. exactly and yeah. i think there's i think i think in a lot of ways like the way that i write is applied philosophy it's like, yeah but it's fiction it's just got some that's the way that i read as well like i have a hard time reading a book and not unpacking it for its ideas I can't just read for like pleasure i'm so invested in yeah. what you're trying to say that makes sense i so it's definitely it's been and but then there's also uh, epistemology which I certainly uh, value too as far as uh, just having like a troubled soul right I yeah. like knowing what the limits of my ability to know things right and it gives me a lot of comfort like knowing that there's a a hard shell kind of out there that we can't pierce about like what's true and what isn't. You know, we can approach it, but there's no definitive certainty about anything. And that makes me happy because it's a, I tend to try. You know? Right. Uh, so that, that definitely gives me, like, spiritual comfort. And then with respect to ethics, right, like, we do that shit every day. Like, that's that's life is ethics. It's a series of, like, right. ethical quandaries, right? Right. And having, I guess, a set of tools to kind of approach these things and maybe not make the decision that feels right, but at least know why I'm doing something feels like, you know, important. Like, I'm, I value that. It's Right. Uh, I, you know, I, as I'm here, uh, as I'm listening to you, I think of my own experience with thinking, trying to think abstractly, and I, I wonder if I've lost it a little, because I feel like I've, um, you know, I, I, I used to be conversant with these ideas, and I used to immediately think about them, but I've become such a, an empiricist yeah, in a lot of yeah. ways. So, like, my life is so much about the details that come to me. And that that's okay. Yeah, like, Empiricism yeah, yeah. where I try to 
gather uh, experiences or events and or and then analyze and, and synthesize them. So it's a much more it's a scientific method, which is in itself a philosophy. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I think it's also uh, you are in some ways a s- slave to your experience, right? However, you're experiencing that, however, uh, and that can be narrow and confining. And um, you know, I was uh, uh, there was um, there was a push a few years ago, uh, it still exists, to talk about sort of the ethics of data science. Interesting. And so, like, I mean, there are, there are important things to talk about, right? And this actually goes back to the West Point talk. Because, I mean, uh, there's a whole um, revolution in terms of uh, empiricism, in terms of how we gather data and what we can know about human beings in particular, but a lot of things. And how do you how do you pursue this knowledge ethically, right? This is an interesting question. So I would go to meetups or, or meetings, and there are a lot of, like, really good machine learners uh, trying to talk about ethics. And it was really clear because they had no... They were starting from first principles. And, like, it was a very... It, was, it wasn't it was a shallow... They were very smart people, but it was often a very shallow conversation because they were like, okay, well, let me come up with a manifesto. And I was like... Let's think about what ethics... Uh, I mean, there's enough... I knew enough about ethics to be like, okay, well, we really need to think about... There is another branch that doesn't have to do with computer science or mathematics <laughs> that has discussed this. It's called ethics, sure. and maybe we should talk about <laughs> ethics. Ooh, this branch. And it was just... It was a lack of exposure, right? Yeah. Um, Although there's a crystallization that has occurred with ethics, politics, criminal justice that we take for granted. Right. We all subscribe to without yeah. really investigating. And that's part of it, right? Like yeah. What is legal is definitely a kind of ethics. And sure. Like what is good, right? Right. Yeah, yeah. Um, were there any particular um, philosophers you really liked, or were there any particular? Yeah, uh, Shakespeare, uh, Dickens. I mean, that's my point. Like, yeah. I, I, for me, like the you know the, my when I when my that was my I guess argument in philosophy too yeah. was like I saw like novelists or people who are working in like this tradition as doing a kind of applied philosophy yeah. in the same way that science does uh, with a, its own set of rigors and like beliefs and first principles and part of it is that you have to you're trying to like imagine you're trying to like, create you know new landscapes for people to play in right like, yeah. to, it's a it's a, it's its own fiction is its own sort of like sandbox for testing ethics for testing aesthetics for testing all these things you're creating yeah. like a a world and then you're you know it isn't kind of metaphysics even though it isn't really like yeah. you know what i mean it's it is like the, to me that is the kind of uh philosophy of it it has a narrative logic it has a, a whole kind of uh, thing we, we want about it i, I see that as uh, art as a kind of philosophy so for me the people who are applied at that are really really so can you uh, walk me through either a favorite philosophical writer you have or or like the philosophy that you see in shakespeare it's about kind of the fracturing of the soul, right? Or of the psyche, I guess. Mm-hmm. Like, smash... Because it's one person writing it, right? Mm-hmm. Smashes themselves up into a lot of different bits, right? Yeah. Puts, like, a veneer on those bits and tries to infuse it with the rest of their humanity, yeah. right? And has those bits, like, fight it out through poetry, right? Right. And tries to come up with, like... You know, puts those bits to war using, like, beautiful language. Trying to come up with some sort of, you know, like... Uh, Catharsis, like drama, you know, there's no answers, but there's just like those bits and conflict, right? Saying it's like right. a really like profound, deep statement, but you wouldn't be able to get there just writing that, you know. You have to like show it, you have to put somebody through that aesthetic like event, and then they get the sense what they're trying to see. Maybe they can't even articulate it. Yeah. How about you? Is there something that you really like? Well, I guess when I think of um, 
in philosophy, I think of like dead Europeans. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> terrible, terrible <laughs> education. Um, uh, I I also think I I think of religion a lot. I yeah. Think, um, I think of uh, in in particular my own, like Hinduism or like an offshoot like Buddhism. Yeah, like yeah, yeah. It's a way of thinking abstractly that I've always really appreciated. Um, uh, and I think, I think if you grow up in a religion, you get you can be exposed to that philosophy in a way that I think, it, like even though like uh, I, I'm exposed to elements of Christianity or Catholicism, like it's harder for me to think about it as a, a system of philosophy. Yeah. Even though, like I think if you're in it, like if internally, it seems like a way of looking at the world. And I think when you get overwhelmed by the day to day, like a lot of people were. Will turn to certain things, um, and um, you know, as a way to sort of you know not get not get lost in the details, right? And to me, I think I've I've lost the ability to think philosophically about things. Where I think that was that was more reflexive. I think I think it's uh, uh, I have um, I have lost myself uh, in the city of man. Did you ever read uh, David Denby's great books? No, no. It's interesting. He went to Columbia, right? Yeah. Yeah, uh, the book. Uh, my grandmother gave me this when I started in, into college, and we kind of read it together, and we kind of read the great books together. It's she went to college the same time I did. Yeah, she went back to school. Later right, right. You told me that story. Uh, and it's interesting because he's like he's that close. He went. He studied all these books as an undergraduate. Yeah, and then he goes back to school. Like, and right. I think he wrote a piece in the New Yorker yeah, about yeah. like going back and, and revisiting the because uh, for the people who don't know, there's a there's something called the core at yeah. Columbia. And it's it's pretty uh, it's pretty rigorous in the sense that I think it requires you to read a lot of quote unquote great works. Uh, it's a lot of like the Western canon. So there's like two semesters of literature. There's two semesters of philosophy. Uh, and uh, well, at least when I went there, it was like one semester of music, one semester of art, and then and then uh, I think you had to take a semester or two of you know colored people, <laughs> colored people thinking. <laughs> it's CP. <laughs> I don't know. So you had to take one class, like you had to take something that was like the anecdote, because everything else was like super Western uh, focused. At least it was about a billion years ago when I went to college. But um, uh, but yeah, David Denby was like a, he was a Columbia person, but he revisited his his classes. Yeah, he became like a film critic for the New Yorker. Oh right, right, right. And so that's what that was his career, right? Yeah. So he's like reviewing all these movies, and like he gets real into like you know reviewing movies. But then he he kind of go, he goes back in like in his fifties or whatever. Mm-hmm. And he's like, I'm gonna do it again. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah, yeah. And he takes the class with undergraduates, and it's very interesting. It's like a first person account of yeah. like what it was like to be like older. Go back, read the same shit he read when he was younger, yeah. around a bunch of like young people. Yeah, you know what they were getting out of it, and what he was getting out of it, and like what you know is it good as a film critic, like as somebody who's spent their life like trying to figure out if something's good or not. Like, yeah. is it good? Like, is it like good art? You know, like. But it was nice to like, and I was at UT. Nobody was reading these books, so it was like <laughs> nice to have somebody to kind of read along with. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, yeah. but. Um, Ah, interesting, interesting. I was going to say, um, so the one book I think that, like, was uh, uh, kind of transformative was actually a, a book on history. Um, so, like, that was the other thing that, um, uh, so, uh, you know, it's a classic book. I think most, I, I learned about it in, it was our European history textbook, but it's called, uh, um, it's by Colton and Palmer. So, uh, Rise of the West. Or okay. Is that, um, okay. Or, yeah, something like that. But anyway, the Colton and Palmer European history textbook. But So what I really loved about it was it was a way of, of 
talking about the evolution of philosophies. Um, it was a historical look. It was the intertwining of philosophy and history. That was one of the key themes of the book. And I never really thought about it that way. And so that uh, thinking about how we think as an evolution or as not an evolution, I guess in some ways Foucault would say, well, it's not an evolution. It's They're just phases. Um, that was really important, right? That's really important that we we have a history we're in some ways brought to a point right now. The way we think about the world is trapped in a historical time period. And, uh, it, yeah, and, it, and there's there's a certain amount of baggage with that, right? Um, as opposed to, I think, a lot of times we just think of ourselves as because we, we are the sum of all this learning, we are the most enlightened we have ever been, or we will ever be. So, yeah. Um, yeah, I think that's it for philosophy, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That's, that's it. We figured it out. Yeah, we done it. <laughs> like every single week. If just you have any questions it. about what is... Just what listen is. to it. <laughs> yeah. Just go back, because we already talked about <laughs> yeah. it. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I guess, and then in that case, this is the end of episode 19 of Rumor Requirement. Thanks, everyone, for listening. Yeah. Um, yeah, check us out on Stitcher or whatever, however you listen to podcasts. And, um, yeah, thanks to Kevin Carter for providing our intro and outro music. Yeah.